So, we're on week five of this, of the series Chosen. It is all kind of tied back and all kind of based around the one verse in verse four, which says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. As you can see, I, if you have the shirt, that's what the verse is based on. A lot of the youth sponsors have the shirt. It's the chosen thing. I'm a hat. That's what this is all about is that we are chosen in him. And this changes everything. Whenever you finally understand and grasp what this verse is saying, what this whole book is laying out for us, it changes everything. I am so passionate about this topic especially the topic I'm preaching about tonight, because I've seen both sides of this topic in real life. Before my mom passed away, she struggled with severe depression. She struggled with meaning and purpose and acceptance. And I saw, as a kid, I watched as she turned to all the wrong things to try to fill the hole in her life that was missing when I realized now what she was missing was a relationship with God. I saw the same thing before my brother passed away. I saw the same thing happen in his life. He went down the same road. He was so desperate for acceptance. He was so desperate for happiness. He was so desperate for some kind of satisfaction. And I watched as he went down the same path of trying to fill the hole in his life with everything that was wrong. And it might seem like in your life, okay, that, that's not me. You might think, okay, everything in my life is fine. Everything is okay. You might be having a great situation. You might be going to a great school. But there's going to become one day in your life where you're faced with how dark this world really is. And you're going to have to come to a decision. Are you going to choose death or are you going to choose life? I saw this firsthand on how dark the world can get without God. And I can tell you, like, I would be down that same road tonight if I didn't meet God. I would be depressed. I would be looking at all the wrong things. I would be addicted to alcohol. I'd be addicted to drugs if I didn't find God whenever I did. Something changed. And that's what this message is about tonight, is about how that change happened and what that change was and what's different between what everyone is going through and what God has for us. So if you want to, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you guys to bring your Bibles so you guys can just bookmark where we are like I do. Or I'm so happy, or I'm so gracious to you guys. I put it on the screen for you so you can follow along. First three verses, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. So this passage, it automatically is referring to two groups of people. So all of us tonight are included in the two verses or two groups of people that this is actually referring to. Referring to Christians and to non-Christians. So for the Christian, for those who have accepted Jesus and who are actively following Jesus and wanting to show the world who he is and who want to become more like him, this is referring to you in the past tense. It's in that you were dead. You were walking. And that word walking is another word for saying you were living according to the ways of the world. This is the way you used to live. 
This is all past tense. This is talking about your past life before life. And so all I can say to you about that is like, this is your past. So if you are a Christian, you are following Jesus. This is your past. So leave it there. Don't go back to your past. Don't go back to the three enemies of the soul. Don't go back to the way that you used to live because in that is death. And this is actually chapter four of Ephesians. You're going to dive more into what that looks like. Well, all that is in the past tense for us Christians. For some of us tonight, this is a very real and active for some of you guys who have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. These things are still true for you tonight. Or maybe you did accept Jesus, but now you're just going through the motions. And if that's you, if you don't fall in that first category, then I would really pay attention tonight because sin is serious. That's what this verse is really good at, is that how serious sin is. Because notice that what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, oh, you were the, like, in your sins, they were just bad. Or in your sins, you were just not a good person. In your sins, yeah, you were the class clown, but, but you were just not a good person. No, the Bible says that in your sins, you were dead. For some of you, you're currently dead in your sins, whether you realize it or not. And we know, obviously, this isn't talking about physical death. Like, we're still alive. It's talking about that you are cut off from the source of life, which is God. And you can tell. Like, if that's you, if you have not accepted you can tell something's missing. Something is off. And the way the Bible is referring to that thing that's missing, referring to that thing that's off, is it says that you are dead. You're cut off from the source of life and meaning. And so in this, we get the three enemies of the soul. I refer to it that way because I read a book and listened to a podcast by a guy named John Mark Comer. And so he lists out the three enemies of the soul. And that just sounds kind of cool. Like it sounds like some kind of like ninja movie or whatever. The three enemies, I don't know. Getting off on a rabbit hole there. But three enemies of the soul, that was actually, that term, three enemies of the soul, was actually um, coined by a third century monk talking about the three main ways that we fall into temptation or fall into the trap. And as you can see, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. So when you see that in these first three verses, the ways of this world, you guys all kind of know what the world is because you guys all go to school. The world is, the ways of the world is just the culture. It's the peer pressure. It's all the ways that describe the living and thinking that is different from the way Jesus lives and thinks. That's what it means by the ways of the world. It's everything that's different than the way Jesus is telling us to live. The second thing it talks about is the flesh. So that's a kind of a weird term. I don't like the, how that term like sounds. But the flesh is our primal kind of animalistic nature that's living inside of us. Like your flesh, like when you act out on that, that's that part of you. Like if someone just slapped you so hard on the back of the neck and you get angry, that's the flesh part of you that's, that's getting mad. Or if someone talks to your boyfriend or girlfriend and you get jealous, that's your flesh. Or this might be getting some real for some of you, an attractive person walks in the room and you can't stop staring at them. That's the flesh part of you. So there's the world, it's the culture, it's the peer pressure, it's the way that is not of Jesus. The flesh is a part of every single one of us. It's the sinful nature part of us. And then there is the devil. The, what it talks about here in verse, or chapter 2, it says he is the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
So what we need to know about the devil is that he is real. Like we, we know that if God's real, obviously there's a real devil. He's real. He's an immaterial um, but intellect, intelligent being. That means immaterial means he's not physical. Like he's not an actual thing walking around like a monster in your closet. But he's a spiritual being. But he's also intelligent. He's smart. And his main attack is lies. And here's how he attacks us using the world and the flesh against us. So the three enemies soul. There's the world, there's the flesh, and then there's a devil that uses the world and the flesh to come in and attack us with the purpose of still killing and destroying our soul. And here's how we do it. The devil's goal is to first isolate us. So if you find yourself isolated in life or you find yourself kind of isolating from other people, that's your first red flag that the enemy is coming to attack you because he first isolates you and then he implants in your mind evil ideas or deceitful ideas. And this is the lies. He attacks with lies. He puts in deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires. That means that play to our flesh. So he puts in lies in your head that make it seem like what you're feeling in your flesh is okay. And it feels like what you're feeling in your flesh is okay because it's normalized by the world. You might be thinking, like, why do I not need to get jealous? The devil, he says, come in, like, someone's talking to your girlfriend. You need to get jealous. You're like, you know what? I kind of feel that jealousy coming on. You're like, why shouldn't I be jealous? Because everyone else gets jealous when someone talks to their boyfriend or girlfriend. Or if we can get even more real, like, why should I not look at porn? The devil comes in, like, why should you not? And you feel like, I, I feel like I should. Everyone in my school does. Everyone on the football team does. Why should I not do that? That's how the devil comes and he isolates you. He gives you lies that play to what you're already feeling on the inside. And you, then you think it's okay because it's already happening in the world. And so the devil, he specifically lies about who God is. He lies about who you are, what the good life is. And his main goal is to get you to doubt the goodness and the love of God. Whenever we believe the lies and whenever we act out on the flesh and we copy the behaviors of the world, we're falling into the devil's trap and the result is spiritual death. That's what the first three verses is referring to. And this is the sad truth. And I'm, I'm telling you that it is the truth though. This is the truth. I, the result, the end result of listening to the lies of the enemy. The end result of always just acting out on your flesh, whatever you feel in the moment. The end result of copying the behaviors of the world, what everyone else is doing at your school, on your track team, on your football team. The end result is spiritual death. That's the sad truth, but there is also a real hope. Verses uh, four through seven says, you're dead in your sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through the kindness to us in Jesus Christ. That first part, it says, but God. Anytime you see a but God in the scriptures, in the Bible, when you're reading, it says, but God, that's whenever you realize something, something out of the normal is about to happen. It says, but God, who's full of mercy and grace, he made you alive and he saved you. 
says you were dead in your sins, but now you are alive because of God. And I don't know if you know anything about dead things. I mean, obviously I do. But dead things don't just come back to life whenever they want to. I mean, it's not like, it's not, we're talking about like when your phone's dead and you just plug it in and it comes back to life. We're talking about something that is actually dead and there's nothing that thing can do to make itself alive. But it says, but God made you alive. His mercy is the fact that we deserve wrath. We kind of skipped over it in the first three verses. It says, these people who, who act out on the flesh, who follow the ways of the world, these people are children of wrath. That means that God's wrath is coming on those who are still dead in their sins. But God's mercy is that that wrath is withheld from us because Jesus already bore the wrath of God for us when he died on the cross. The grace that it's referring to is that we get something that is completely undeserved. And now that means you get to experience a new life. The Bible says over and over again that in Christ you are a new creation. The old you was gone. So whenever you accept Jesus and, and you become a new creation, the old you is gone. So don't go back to that old life. Don't go back to that old sin pattern, that old life that you felt so dead in before. Instead, live the life that God is calling you, you to live. You were dead, so now you are alive. So don't go back to the way of death. And that's actually what baptism represents. It's because before Christ, we are dead in our sins. And so whenever you're dead, you get buried. So whenever you're getting baptized, you're saying, I am dying to my old self. And so you go under the water, and that's you saying, I am being, I'm killing my old flesh. I'm killing my old life. I'm saying no to that. You're burying yourself. And then you come up out of the water, and that is you practicing the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died for us, and he rose again, and he's alive. And whenever we baptize and get baptized, that is us, an outward sign of saying, this is what happened to my life. I was dead, but now I am alive. And that sets you free from the slavery of sin. Before you are alive in Christ, whenever you're still dead in your sin, you are a slave to that sin. You can't say no to it. You, you can try on willpower for a certain amount of time, but you can't say no. You are a slave to that. But whenever you are free, whenever you are alive, you are free from that slavery to sin. In the Bible, it goes on and it says, you are now seated with Christ in the heavens. That could be a whole other message. I won't dive into all that means. But that is how God sees you once you surrender to Jesus. Because... We are raised to life with Christ. And because we are seated with Christ in the heavens, that is how God sees you once you are fully surrendered to Jesus. He doesn't see the old you. He doesn't see your old sins. He doesn't see your old mistakes. He doesn't see the stain of guilt and shame. He sees you in your glorified state because of Jesus. We talked about this three or four weeks ago, that he chose him before the foundation of the world. That means that God's outside of time. He's, he's in the beginning. He's in the end. He's in right now. It doesn't make sense, but God's outside of time. So when you accept Jesus and you say yes to him, God sees you in your glorified state of how you're going to be in heaven. That's what it means to be seated with Christ. This is, a, this is really hard to understand. It's, it, uh, trust me, it's hard to explain. But I believe that this is the most important concept for you to believe at your age, in your state of life, in 2022, though everything that you're going through right now, everything you're hearing, every, all the lies within me, this is the most important concept that you can believe right now if you are going to live a full and meaningful life. 
That is when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And whenever you trust in him and you trust that he died and he rose again. And because of that and that alone that you are now accepted by God just as holy and righteous in God's eyes just as Jesus is. That gives you power. Whenever you realize that, that when you accept Jesus and because of that God sees you the same way he sees Jesus, that gives you power to say no to sin. That gives you power to say no to the devil, to say no to your flesh and to live in a way that is opposite of the world. That gives you freedom to be the person that God has created you to be. That gives you identity. And that gives you peace of knowing who you are and whose you are. And it gives you meaning and purpose in this world. Because once you realize that you are accepted by God, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus done, that frees you up to say, I don't need to earn it anymore. I don't need to try to earn all this anymore. I don't need to try to go through all these hoops anymore because Jesus did it for me. God accepts me. God loves me. And that gives you freedom and power to want to live the life that God is calling you to live. Paul, he understands this. And this is what the next verses, 8 through 10, it, it explains it even more. In verse 8, he says, For you are saved by grace through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So this answers the question of how we're saved and why we are saved. We are saved by God's grace alone. Remember, we were dead, and a dead thing cannot make itself alive again, no matter how hard it tries. God did that, and there's nothing that we could have done to help him in the process except to acknowledge our sinfulness, to acknowledge just how badly we messed up and fall on our knees and beg for the mercy of Jesus. That's the only part of the process that we have in the salvation. And God shows us his grace and his mercy as a gift. And it says because of that, that you are God's workmanship. In other translations, it translates that word as a masterpiece, Whenever you are created anew in Jesus, it says you are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship. We can't take credit for that because that is what God did. Whenever you say yes to him, he says, I'm making you new. You have not only a second chance, you have countless second chances. And in that, you become a new creation and a masterpiece. Beautiful the way that God is creating you. Because sin broke us. In the very beginning, whenever we read the first few chapters of Genesis, sin came in and it broke humanity. It starts to deform us. It starts to make us less than what God originally intended for us to be. And it leaves us dead and sin leaves us messy. But God, he comes in and he remakes us and he recreates us into his image. And because of that, that's why we are God's masterpiece. And the reason for all this is for good works. That's why we are saved. That's why God has created us so that we can do good works. A lot of Christians, a lot of us, we get it wrong. We think that because we do good works, that's why God loves and accepts us. Or once we are accepted by God, we should start doing good works so that God can keep loving us, so that God can keep accepting us. And oh man, I just messed up. I just sinned. And now I got to make up for it by reading the Bible for an hour. That's not how this works. It's not like a balancing scale like a lot of other religions are. 
We are saved by grace and not by works. But whenever we are saved, whenever we are truly remade, whenever we are truly brought back to life, we are expected to show the good works, to show how our life was changed. We're expected to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I preach about grace all the time, but don't get me wrong. Jesus says that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, if you are truly remade, if you are truly alive, then you will do what I said. That's what this is all for. Because he has broken the power of the devil in the flesh and in the world, God has called us to live out our daily lives in a manner that is consistent with his holy and righteous character and to live the way that he already sees us. This gives us freedom to do that. You think, I can never be holy and blameless. Whenever we go back to verse 1, verse 4, and it says, God created you before, or he chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Like, I can never be holy and blameless. I can never live up to that standard. God sees you as holy and blameless already. And because of that, that gives us power to do all that we can to live up to that, to, to try to be as holy as we can, to say no to the sin, to, be a, to love everybody as much as we can because we know that we, there's not a certain quota that we have to get to. We don't have to get to like 100 Bible points a day or whatever that equals up to in your mind. Like that, there's not a quota to live up to, so that should give you a freedom to want to do it as much as you possibly can because this is what he expects and this is also what he commands. If you are now saved, your life should reflect that without ever saying that you are a Christian. Like if you truly have been made alive, if you truly have said yes to Jesus, your life should reflect that. And there's a lot of points in the Bible that point to this that says like you identify a tree by its fruit. Like you know an orange tree is an orange tree because of oranges. You know a peach tree is a peach tree because it produces peaches. Your life should produce fruit that is consistent with who you say that you are. If you're a Christian, that everyone should be able to identify. Like, oh, I see that you follow Jesus because you love everybody. You don't have outbursts of anger. You don't always look at the things that we look at. That is how we know that you're a Christian. You never told us about Jesus, but we can tell you love Jesus because your life is producing the things that say you are a Christian. It means showing love to others in the same way that God has loved us. It means killing your old life. It means crucifying your flesh. It means getting rid of the this, this shameful and all the sinful things that we used to do and following the footsteps of Jesus. The band will go ahead and come back. This message, I'm not gonna lie, I really enjoyed getting into what this message was about. Studying and preparing but I believe that it's not a coincidence that every single one of you are in the room tonight. I, 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 really don't, I really believe it's not a coincidence. I believe that the God of the universe has been calling you here tonight. I believe he's been nudging you to get here. For some of you, I know a lot of you, you've been coming every single week. I still believe that God in the universe, he made sure that you were going to be here tonight. For some of you, this is the first time maybe you've been to church. Or maybe you've only been three or four times but you're here. I believe that God has been trying and nudging and working to get you here. And maybe you would have came sooner. Maybe you would have came a few weeks ago, but something has been keeping you from getting here. But now you're here, and I believe it's not a coincidence. And I believe that for some of you tonight, something felt different. 
Maybe there's something I said about being dead in your sin. Maybe there's something I said about the, the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Maybe it was by hearing the overwhelming grace of God. Maybe you, something felt different because you finally understand how God sees you whenever you come for him and you ask him for forgiveness. Maybe you, understand, you finally understand how following Jesus changes everything, how God sees you, how you see yourself, and what that means for your guilt and shame and how that gives you power to live for tomorrow. If something felt different tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said yes, and you, maybe you still feel like you're dead in that sin, maybe you don't feel like all those things are true for you, that is God, the God who created the universe, the God who created you and formed you. That is God inviting you into a life-changing relationship. God doesn't want you to be left dead in your sins. God doesn't want you to be left in, in, in that, that life that's a trap that is f- less than full. He wants to be with you. and He wants to bring you into his family. This is what this book talks about all, all the time, that you are adopted as children of God. You are adopted into his family, that you get an inheritance. God wants to bring you into his family, but more than that, he wants to make you alive. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never accepted Jesus, you never said yes to him. You never made him your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but for some reason you feel like you're still dead in your sins. That you don't feel like you are alive. You don't feel like you've taken that second chance. You don't feel like you've been trying to, you've been walking and following the steps of Jesus, but you want to. You want to leave that life behind once and for all. And tonight you want to live the life that God is calling you to live and never turn back. If that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, will you raise your hand so we can pray with you tonight?